Hello and welcome to the Around the Nation podcast for the week of Monday, October 17th, 2011. I'm Pat Coleman. And I'm Keith McMillan. And this is where we run down the uh, comings and goings, the doings of week seven in the 2011 NCAA Division Three football season. Um, I'm, I'm in my, uh, my cold, my voiceover voice from standing on the sidelines at St. Scholastica up in Duluth, Minnesota, about as far north as you can get in, the, in Division Three because uh, we only exist on the mainland. Uh, that's where I was this week. We're going to wrap up uh, things that happened elsewhere. There were 114 games this weekend as a... Uh, the uh, about as full as a full schedule can get, and uh, Keith, the uh, th- two of the big things we talked about last week uh, basically got undone practically as uh, Birmingham Southern uh, picked up its first loss of the season, and then Huntington went on the road and lost at Trinity as well. And it, it certainly put the focus on the on, on the games down in the South, you know, with those two big those two big clashes, and then both of the results being. Uh, I guess surprising, you know, not major surprises, but certainly surprises according to the poll. Uh, as you, you mentioned, Pat, uh, we just seen Birmingham Southern and uh, and Huntington, you know, finally get the respect they thought they deserved. But but the thing about respect is you have to keep on earning it over the course of ten games, and then you know another five games into the playoffs. Um, and and really it was probably the biggest clash of the season for for both teams, and uh, in terms of Birmingham Southern and. Uh, and Huntington, but also the big chance for for Center and for Trinity to feel like they they got the respect they deserve, and both teams got it without uh, too much doubt. Yeah, and Huntington has had some uh, great offensive numbers over the the course of the season, but Trinity really shut them down. Just uh, well, I mean, seven points. To be honest with you, it it doesn't matter a whole lot after that. That uh, it's fairly non competitive at that point. Yeah, I mean, and and I think that's sort of the theme of, of some of the great great games this week. As we get through this podcast, Pat, we'll see that um, you know the offensive numbers are impressive in some ways, but but the defensive numbers are even more impressive. You know, if you look at the at the center game, uh, you know, you feel they gave up twenty points. They must not have had a great day defensively. But Birmingham Southern scored those twenty points in the fir- in the first quarter and a half. Right there, and then they didn't score again for you know eight. I think eight fifty four of the second quarter, and then the whole third quarter. So, uh, you know, center got it figured out quickly on defense, and then played really a great stretch of a game where their offense, you know, uh, kept on rolling. But then the defense played shutout football for two and a half quarters, and and uh, that that was also the theme, as you mentioned in the in the Trinity game, where the defense uh, was just great for uh, for the Tigers. For center, they get a touchdown uh, right before half to go up twenty-eight twenty, and then it's you know essentially still a one-possession game for the entire uh, the entire third quarter. Uh, meanwhile, uh, center's holding Birmingham Southern scoreless. Uh, center tacks on a field goal early in the fourth quarter. It's still looking like a game for most of the fourth quarter. Then bang bang! Uh, a, a, first of all, a, just a a bruising uh, drive. Twelve plays, eighty yards, took up more than half of the fourth quarter. That put up uh, put center up by 18 and then a pick six to finish it off makes it a 25 point game yeah and and those uh a couple of those those last two scores in in the last three some odd minutes um you know made made the margin look uh a little wider than than it really was you know you know 28 20 and you know 30 30 20 it's a different it's a different um score for a for a voter who doesn't uh maybe necessarily get a chance to look real deep into the into the um box score or get a chance to you know really read closely through the uh the write-up that you have on the site pat on on saturday nights 
you know, you just look at 45-20, you'd think it was a dominant game. But in a lot of ways, because of the way center played defense, I thought in the second half it really was that that dominant game. And that theme, you know, does carry back over to uh, to the Trinity Huntington game as well. It does. And before we go back to the Trinidad hunting, Trinidad, I know, sorry. Um, we're going back and forth. But these games and these teams are really intertwined. So um, the thing is, I, I agree, uh, you know, the, the 45, the, the, the tack on pick six at the, you know, um, the, the next possession later, I could see that's one thing. But for me, you know, when you go, when you go 80 yards, first of all, when you go 80 yards at all, but when you go 80 yards in 12 plays, you know, you're just sapping the the life out of the uh, out of the opposition they take that game from it's what's a reachable game when you're down by 11 which is you know a, a touchdown and a two-point conversion a field goal um with 13 minutes left and then all of a sudden you take pretty much every second after that uh and and drive the length of the field and make it an 18 point game yeah that that was really uh you know the drive where where the colonels established their dominance in that game, and that really is a, a, a morale, whatever the opposite of a morale booster is, a, a demoralizer. Um, because yeah, you're, you mentioned twelve plays, uh, eighty yard drive. It took up, you know, uh, Birmingham Southern doesn't get the ball back at that point until, um, you know, three two two forty one. They get the ball back after that drive. Uh, I'm sorry, no, they did get it back right, right, right at the two fifty eight mark, and that's when they threw the pick six. But um, you know, when you have a chance as a defense to get off the field. Uh, that that's your big, you know, your 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 big, um, you know, the mark of a good defense, I guess, is the best way to put it. You know, you get off the field on third downs and and, and some, occasionally fourth down, and a uh, couple big conversions on that drive. Center converted a third and two with the short, uh, a short, a twenty nine yard pass, and then they converted a third and fifteen with a fifteen yard pass uh, during that drive and uh, to set up first and goal. And and those third downs, I mean, that's usually the difference. Uh, in the game, you know, you look at that third down conversion rate, occasionally a fourth down conversion rate, and you see, um, you know, sometimes defense, when, when sometimes the stats can be even, but the team that got off the field the most uh, on those key plays really uh, ends up playing better defense over the course of a game. So on Trinity, um, you know, our poll's been hanging behind uh, waiting for, you know, maybe for this very game. Uh, but, you know, certainly Trinity's schedule a little bit backloaded. Uh, Huntington this week. Uh, Birmingham Southern in a couple weeks. Center coming up the week after that. Um, you know, they look at what they played so far, and you know they'd had a couple of dominant scores, and they've certainly been very strong defensively throughout the season. But I think that uh, while the the coaches association poll was all over them from you know the get go, um, the the uh, our poll has been just kind of waiting for them to to play some of the stronger teams on their slate. And that's really how our poll tends to work. It does. You, you do get that bounce. You do get rewarded. I think when you play the better teams uh, on your schedule or, or better teams in the country and and Trinity, uh, you know, while I think a lot of a lot of us were impressed with the five and zero start, especially coming off you know a rare losing season in that program's history. You know, four and six last year. Um, you do want to see those games against those other winning teams, and this is a it was a real statement game for them because. Um, you know, as you mentioned, Pat, that the seven points, there's no there's no way to justify that and say, well, Huntington played really well. They had a chance to win this game. You only score seven and you have an offense that's averaging, uh, you know, more than 500 yards a game, averaging almost 38 points a game. And then you come in and, and score seven. That was, That's a real impressive performance for Trinity. And now the challenge for them is, is to keep it going um, because that's not a conference win for them. No. So, um, 
you know, the, the conference race, obviously, there's, uh, we, we talked about just briefly the, the Trinity Center game that still has yet to be played. And that's going to be, you know, really now the contest that we're looking, we're looking at as the, the big clash in the SCAC, but Birmingham Southern is still going to have a say in, in this as well. It's one of those situations where could end up with a three-way tie, and we will uh, address that a little bit more as the uh, season progresses. Uh, the good news is that I think for Birmingham Southern, if they win out, uh, that we get our, our we got took our first real good look at strength of schedule numbers this week, uh, and we'll talk more about that a little bit later in the uh, in the uh, podcast. But uh, Birmingham Southern's in fairly decent shape as it stands right now. Um, if they uh, if they continue to finish out and uh, finish out nine and one they'd have a shot at one of those six at-large bids and there are just six truly at-large bids into the uh, division three playoff field of 32 um, you know so Salisbury is uh, looking like they're not going to be needing one of those spots uh, and I was uh, on the uh, in the huddle the uh, the show that Frank Rossi and company uh, do uh, around the uh, Liberty League and uh, the East region uh, on Sunday evening, and um, we were talking about, I guess, the irony uh, that uh, the Empire Eight, um, which has struggled in terms of uh, football membership, they uh, they have actually nine uh, programs. I actually think that's changing because uh, this uh, one of the non-football pro- programs left the conference, but they uh, they've uh, they've struggled to maintain their seven teams necessary for an automatic bid in football. They have a handful of schools that don't play football, so they've been. You know, bringing in um, affiliate members uh, this year, uh, Salisbury and Frostburg State uh, get them back up to uh, get them back up above that minimum, so they can hold on to their automatic bid for another couple years. And then Salisbury, it looks like Keith, uh, especially if they finish running the table, is going to come in, win the automatic bid, automatic bid, and maybe nobody else in the conference is going to get in. So the Empire Eight is, for all it did to keep its automatic bid, isn't going to actually get one of its uh, traditional teams into the playoffs. Well, yeah, the Empire Six, the 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 six teams that that were that made up the the core group from the Empire Six, they may not get one of their teams in, but it was still the the smart thing to do uh, from that conference standpoint to to preserve that access. At least they get a chance to play for it. Unfortunately, you you bring in you know probably the strongest option team in, in the country, one of the best running teams year to year in the country, and and you get them on an up year. And I think what was really impressive uh, about about this win for them is that it wasn't just the offense. Um, you know, they, they hung up 69 points and that's consistent with their last two games. You know, since the start of October, they scored 70 at Utica, uh, 65 against Springfield and now 69 at Alfred. They have, uh, Hartwick, Wesley, St. John Fisher and Frostburg state left. Those defenses have to be worried a little bit, but I think the thing that really, really jumps out from this game, not so much the 69, but the, but the zero for Alfred. Uh, I think there's another uh, very interesting zero on the Salisbury side as well. Um, you know, one of the things we talk about uh, and, and have kind of traditionally seen with triple option teams is uh, you know struggling to hang on to the football. Um, and in, in this case, uh, Alfred turned the ball over, well, fumbled it four times, and uh, and then uh, Salisbury fumbled it once but hung on to it. They didn't uh, they didn't lose a fumble. They uh, they picked off an interception. Uh, they won the uh, they won the the uh, the turnover margin plus five. Yeah, and and anytime you you you're right, five turnovers in this game and in any game you're gonna have uh, 
a lot of trouble trying to make up that difference. But then you add Salisbury's special teams in. You know, they blocked a couple of punts. Uh, they fell on the very last score to make it 69 was a blunt po- a, a punt block that they fell on for a touchdown. But they also set up an earlier score in the game, block a punt, um, set themselves up for a, a one-play, two-yard touchdown drive. And, and that was the one that um, that made it 28-0, you know. You look at these drives in this game, Pat, because of the turnovers and because of the the, the couple of punts blocked, the, the, the drives are three plays. The first touchdown drive is 11 plays. Then you have three plays, four plays, one play, three play, four plays, three plays, four plays, eight, and then a punt block that they fall on in the end zone. So two, they score 69 points, two of the drives longer than four plays. Yeah, I looked at that box score expecting to see, you know, five or 600 yards in total offense, and instead it was 392. Um, you know, one of the things also about Salisbury, and I, I, I hope that um, you get a chance to get out and uh, put eyes on them at some point uh, here as the season winds down, the regular season, because they're, they continue to be able to throw the ball. Um, you know, they've, they've, they've uh, occasionally had guys who are capable of throwing the football, but um, I think what's kind of uh, spurred them on over the last year plus is that they're able to throw the football credibly. And uh, on, on Saturday, it was 6-10 uh, passing for 140 yards. I know that doesn't sound like much, but when you have to uh, respect one of the top uh, triple option rushing offenses in the nation, the fact that they may also uh, throw and not just an occasional deep bomb uh, is, is, is huge for them. Yeah, and this is the theme that we get to every year when we start talking about these teams who, who run it predominantly. They run it so much that they... That um, you know, eventually you're going to run into a team some point down the road that can slow down your run. You know, Salisbury gets that test every year when they play Wesley. They they have to f- be able to move the ball another way besides just running the option because they have a team that's familiar with them, team that's usually stout against the run, and, and so they have to have that in their arsenal. Same thing when we talk about Mary Harden Baylor going deep into the playoffs. At some point, the good Mary Harden Baylor teams are able to throw the ball. And the teams that are that don't end up going as far as the playoffs are the ones that tend to be one-dimensional or a little more limited in the passing game. Have to be able to make um, some of those plays, not you know, not just to keep defenses honest, but sometimes you get in a situation in the game, whether it's falling behind or whether it's third and fifteen, where you you, you don't necessarily uh, have a high percentage running play in, in the books for that. Mary Hard Baylor so dominant this past weekend, 52-12 over uh, an NAIA team, Southern Oregon, that we basically aren't even uh, going to talk about them much here over the course of, of this podcast. Um, it, Salisbury, of course, yes, they have the big test coming up against Wesley and, and you know, obviously other games in between, including a long bus trip to uh, upstate New York to play Hartwick uh, coming up this upcoming weekend. But, um, you know, we were, we were talking about um, on the in the huddle show, what it might take again, which is you know one of the common focuses of the East Region over the past few years, what it might take to keep Mountain Union out of the East bracket, um, and you know Salisbury is not technically in the East Region, but they are, would be I think one of the easternmost teams that uh, qualifies for the tournament, and it's drawn more by you know <coughs> putting a cluster of pins on a map and uh, and going that way rather than by the uh, NCA's kind of arcane. Uh, uh, regional definitions where the lines are drawn on that map. Do you do we think Salisbury could uh, get the top seed in the East if they went out? I think there's a there's a few teams right now that are in position to to be that number one seed in the East. And again, it's not just looking at the East. You really have to look at the 32 teams that get in. And if there's an unbalance somewhere in the West or somewhere in the North, you know there there's sometimes the ability to shift. Um, 
you know, Whitewater could be the North, the North number one seed, and then North Central could be the, you know, the West number one, or Linfield has to be the West number one. The whole picture is really interlinked. But to, to answer the question specifically, yes, Salisbury could, could be the number one seed because the schedule is strong enough. You add in, uh, I think the numbers, you know, will, will bear themselves out over the course of the season when you add in having to play uh, in your conference, you know, Alfred, um, St. John Fisher, Ithaca, and then also, uh, you know, Springfield probably end up with a winning record. And then your non-conference game being Wesley, they're, they're going to have the strength of schedule numbers to support being a, being a one seed if they went out. I think, uh, you know, Montclair State is in that boat, uh, possibly being a one seed. And then, you, you, again, talking about how the picture is, is all interrelated, that geography, the, the leaders right now in, uh, in New England, in, in the Nessie, are uh, both from Massachusetts. So you don't have that main maritime to worry about figuring out how that team's going to be 500 miles away from from Salisbury. Um, so, you know, the closer the teams are to, to that potential number one seed, uh, the better off it could be. The other thing, you know, Salisbury would probably have to worry about, uh, is there going to be a number one seed, a strong number one seed in the South? Do they need Salisbury to be the number one South team? And, and right now the South looks like uh, it's going to have plenty of candidates for its own number one, whether it be Mary Harden Baylor or whoever ends up winning the uh, the SCAC. So it really does look like a possibility this season, um, but can't get too far ahead. You know, as, as deep as we are into this thing in week seven, you know, we've seen crazy things happen week 10, week 11 teams that look like they're going to go undefeated, you know, end up with two losses and, and out of the playoff picture. Uh, the uh, just to take a look at the strength of schedule numbers. Of course, they are outlandish for Salisbury right now. Uh, a seven thirteen SOS number, which is not going to hold up towards the end of the year. Uh, it will come down a little bit, but not necessarily a lot. I mean, St. John Fisher is actually, of course, has a winning percentage above that, so that's going to raise that. Uh, Wesley, you know, with so few in-region games, might not raise that number too much, but it's not going to lower it a whole lot either. Um, Salisbury at seven thirteen right now, and and strength of schedule is one of the uh, is is one of the huge factors, frankly, that the NCAA uses. There's not a uh, there's not a whole lot of factors. Um, Montclair State's at five fifteen. One of the things I don't like, Keith, um, as we stray further and further from the topic, I know, um, but the fact that there are apparently one less regional rankings this year. We're not going to see a regional ranking apparently until November second. At least that's what the championship handbook says. Um, means that there's one less data point. You know, one of the things is wins against regionally ranked teams, and there are, uh, you know, that's one less regional ranking. Uh, there, there could be some teams who are still pretty good. I think who uh, would be in a, uh, a a hypothetical October 26th or October 19th regional ranking, um, th- whose whose games, you know, would be uh, a good measuring stick and should be counted on the uh, the. Uh, the records of other teams who are being uh, regionally considered uh, who aren't going to be in there because there just isn't a ranking at that time. Yeah, that's interesting, Pat, you know, to boil down what you just said, <laughs> please, uh, <laughs> but, you know, basically there, there's a, an opportunity for, for, a, to win, to be a team that's regionally ranked that won't be regionally ranked later in the, in November. And so those, the opportunity to have that win count as a, as a, a factor to help it get a team in the playoffs isn't there anymore and that is a it's a very subtle change but it could it could end up playing a big role in uh who gets one of those six at large pitch you know the one other point we should mention while we're talking about the uh the seagulls here is for salisbury so many seasons being in that pool b group and uh that pool b group now um pool b being the uh that the teams that aren't in automatic qualifier conferences 
uh, they're, they're down to one bid now. And that one bid, uh, you know, luckily, you know, it doesn't have to ride on the Salisbury-Wesley game because at least Salisbury now is chasing after that automatic bid. That's one of the reasons why they, they are willing to, tra- to travel up to New York three or four times a season to be in, you know, being in the Empire 8 is to have access to that automatic bid and not have to put so much pressure on beating Wesley because if they don't win that game against a traditional top five, top 10 team in the country, you know, their playoff chances were, were really hurting. Now at this point, it's really an opportunity for them to boost their strength of schedule number, perhaps get another uh, uh, national win that we all you know, will put our eyes on and really start paying attention that, to how good Salisbury might be this year if they win that game. But if they lose it, it doesn't hurt their access to the playoffs because they can still win the Empire 8. One of the, things, one of the teams we didn't talk about in terms of um, being a potential top seed in the South was, was Thomas Moore. Uh, Thomas Moore uh, has the 201st best strength of schedule in Division Three football right now, obviously, this only counts games that have been played so far. Uh, you know, they still have um, you know games left in order to kind of move that number, and it might change. So that's certainly a that's certainly a possibility. But they're they're really far down the pecking order, and that's just in terms of the NCAA criteria. I think uh, those of us who remember uh, the manner in which Thomas Moore exited the playoffs last year uh, wouldn't even really give more than about two seconds of consideration to them being the top seed in the house in the, uh, in the South ahead of someone like Mary Harden Baylor. But, um, you know, just to, uh, talk about Thomas Moore, what happened this past weekend, um, you know, Thomas Moore, uh, struggled frankly to beat, uh, St. Vincent. And, uh, you know, we, we've talked about this, uh, a couple of other times. Is this more about Thomas Moore not being very strong nationally or, St. Vincent continuing its rise. You know, we saw them beat uh, Washington and Jefferson last weekend, um, or again a combination of both. Yeah, yeah. I go back. I, I gave this a little bit of thought, you know, before we started talking, and I kind of have to go back and forth on it a little bit. On on one hand, you have St. Vincent program that's been on the rise. They're three and three now this year. All three of their losses are are, are by a field goal. Uh, or, or by three points, we should say, because they, they didn't necessarily lose on on a field goal. Uh, they've beaten Washington and Jefferson, which is you know the traditionally dominant program, along with Thomas Moore uh, in the pack. But at the same time, um, you know, this game may show a little bit of weakness for 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 Thomas Moore. You know, the last part of the reason that their strength of schedule is so low is because the last two games they played against. Um, Teal and against Grove City, both of those teams 0 and 6 this season. So that really crushes their strength of schedule number. And as you mentioned, Pat, it'll get better as they play Waynesburg, you know, maybe Mount St. Joseph uh, in the Bridge Bowl uh, in the last game of the season will, will help that strength of schedule number move up a little bit. But, but right now, you know, they have a couple uh, uh, impressive wins against bad teams. They've beaten Geneva 41 6. They've beaten, you know, Teal and Grove City, uh, big blowouts. And then they have th- this tight win against Washington Jefferson, 35 32, and then a tight win against St. Vincent. Uh, it's hard to tell where the pack slots nationally because they're becoming one of these conferences this season, you know, in the mold of the ODAC or the Centennial. Or, um, you know, I don't know, NJAC sometimes plays this role, CCIW, where all the teams, they, they, they beat up on each other. They crunch in together so much that you don't know uh, necessarily how they shake out, how they stack up uh, against everyone else. You know, right now, Thomas Moore, two, three-point wins against conference opponents. You don't know if they're just getting by by the skin of their teeth like Kane was. And, and eventually they come back to, to bite them? Or are they a team that, that, will, that will build on those wins and, uh, and, and, and say, we got away with one there, and, and then you know go ahead and dominate the last four games of the season? 
Yeah, and whether, however that shakes out, and we mentioned that the the two one-loss teams in the standings, uh, Westminster and, and Waynesburg, are still on Thomas More's schedule yet to be played. But if you just look at it, you know, take the rankings off of a of a team's name for a second. You look at the the results, but in this little triangle between Thomas More, St. Vincent, and Washington and Jefferson. Not that it's a true tri- triangle because it's not that they all split against each other, but it kind of belies where the rankings end up with Thomas Moore at number eight, let alone number six in the coaches poll, and then neither of these other two teams combining for a vote. And I think that's a real example of a team starting off, you know, having name recognition from having been in the playoffs the past uh, couple seasons, winning the conference, you know, handily the past couple seasons. So they start out in the teens. Then teams ahead of them lose and sort of drop behind. And at some point, Thomas Moore just keeps on creeping up, creeping up, creeping up. All of a sudden, you have Thomas Moore in the top, you know, in single digits. Are they one of the top five or six, six, six teams in the country? I don't think so. You know, maybe they'll get at a, a point in the playoffs and, and prove us wrong. But the competition they played so far and, and the way they played against that competition, I don't think, sh- you know, bears out that they're one of the, the six best teams or the eight best teams in the country. But again, you know, sometimes as a voter, you get in that point where you, you, you feel good about your first seven teams and then you got to rank somebody eighth. You can't just say, well, I don't feel like any of these teams are worth the number eight team in the country, so I'm just not going to rank anybody till 15. You know, sometimes a, a team gets sort of a false float. Yeah. And um, I think in this instance, helped along by the fact that uh, North Central lost early, Wesley lost early. Uh, Bethel lost that surprising game a couple weeks ago to uh, to St. Olaf. Um, you know, obviously, two of those teams have cu- have crept back up above Thomas Moore because I think you know Thomas Moore's just kind of hit a ceiling with the voters and saying I just can't rank Thomas Moore any higher. Um, you know, I I think probably Bethel's better than Thomas Moore as well. Uh, you know, but losing to St. Olaf doesn't really uh, doesn't really show that off very well. Um, looking at some of the things that happened. <coughs> A little lower in the poll. Uh, Wartburg made the poll look good last week by uh, by beating Dubuque. Um, that was a result that we got right, and then the uh, coaches' poll got wrong, and then um, kind of fell apart in the fourth quarter and uh, made everybody look foolish and completely changed the face of the Iowa Conference race. Yeah, Wartburg really was was dominating this game through the middle quarters. Uh, kicked a 25-yard field goal at, at, at the 145 mark of the third quarter to go up 31-14 on Simpson. Probably a game they, they should be winning given their standing in the conference, given that, you know, Simpson has, has generally struggled. Uh, and I don't know if Wartburg just, you know, let up off the gas a little bit or uh, Simpson got back in, in the game. But, you know, Simpson put together an eight-play touchdown drive to make it 31-21. And Wartburg, you know, going back and forth with Simpson uh, for most of the fourth quarter, still hanging on to that 10-point lead. Probably you know trying to kill clock, trying to run the ball down, and uh, Simpson puts together is real amazingly quick, um, thirteen play drive uh, in two in two minutes and fifteen seconds. So they manage the clock really well. They they kick a twenty two yard field goal with one forty left. Uh, they get the ball back really quickly. Uh, Simpson throws a uh, a ten yard touchdown pass um, to uh, to to Taylor uh, Taylor Rogers from Taylor Nelson to tie the game 11 seconds left then they get the ball first in uh in overtime score again so they're completely just riding the mo train at that point and then uh for warburg you know they score on their overtime drive uh, quickly in in four plays but the uh the kick is blocked and that's how warburg loses and and for a team that had just vaulted itself back into the uh 
into the um, conference title race with by beating Dubuque last week is really a devastating loss, I think, for them. Yeah, um, Warburg goes from uh, spoiling Dubuque's homecoming to uh, to coughing up the lead on its own home- homecoming and falling. It's just a um, it, that is a uh, it's a it's a puzzler. And of course, here's the thing: um, it it really puts, of course, Warburg behind the eight ball in terms of the conference race. They now have to uh, hope that uh, Co defeats. I, to be honest with you, it's such a mess above them. I can't even uh, I can't even do it off the top of my head. We still have Dubuque, Central, and Co. Uh, at the top of the uh, conference, each with one loss. And where we had four one-loss teams coming into the week, uh, Dubuque is in control of its own destiny. That we know because they've already beaten Central. Uh, now that Warburg is uh, out of the uh, out of the one-loss picture, um, Dubuque's uh, game against Co. Uh, would would give them a head-to-head over both of the other potential one-loss teams uh, if, uh, uh, if if Central were to win out and then they would beat Co. It would be a two one-loss teams, Dubuque and Central, and Dubuque would have the uh, head, head-to-head tiebreaker advantage. Yeah, and and you know, sim- simply put, you went from a four-team race last week. Warburg plays itself out of the race in, with a seventeen-point, um, you know, Simpson seventeen-point fourth quarter, losing in overtime. They played themselves out of it. Temporarily, you know, there's always something that can happen where they could get back in. But right now, it's a three-team race. It's Code, Dubuque, and uh, and Central. Central plays at Warburg on uh, on October 29th. You know, Warburg can play spoiler again. They can get back in the race with that game, or Central gets itself another big victory. And then you have the Dubuque game at Code November 5th. Uh, you know, you may be in the house, Pat. I'm not. I'm not sure if you said that uh, yep. while we were recording or before we were recording. Well, I'm pretty but, sure. Uh, pretty sure, anyway. Okay, so we can we can you know most likely commit to that, and uh, again you know things things change between now and then. You, you get an unexpected result like Simpson, you know, beating Warburg. It may not be a race by by November fifth. You know that's uh, three weekends from now, so uh, anything could happen. But right now, if I had a judge and looking at the at the I O conference as a three team race, uh, you probably if you're a Dubuque fan, you got to feel pretty good. Um, because your team is, has been playing well, you know, obviously stumbled a little bit last week uh, against Warburg, but now you know, Warburg's out of the mix. They have to go uh, win at Coe, and Coe has been really, you know, inconsistent this season. So uh, it, if they consistently finish up here, uh, play well, uh, I think that's maybe your team coming out of that conference. And just to touch on Dubuque for a second, uh, Mike Sweefel with just seven catches before them went for touchdowns as they uh, rolled over Cornell 40-17, to and Central stayed in the uh, first place tie by completely crushing its opponent, Loris, 70-7. to um, Another uh, crazy finish and another crazy comeback, this for the ranked team, as uh, Redlands and Claremont Mud Scripps are going to look at that game as it's going on. Um, I kind of, at first, I think, hit... Um, my radar about halftime, and uh, and Redlands is just getting uh, just getting crushed by Claremont Mud Scripps, and then uh, you know, come back to it at the end, and Redlands has come all the way back, and there's this is how it sounds from Mitch McClellan, and Brett Malik from 1050 KCAA. First rolling left, being chased away from a tackle, goes to the end zone, and it is caught, touchdown. Touchdown, Redland. Taylor Irwin caught it. That is unbelievable. It was knocked around. Irwin came up with it, and the Bulldogs have won it. Good night, Claremont. For the 22nd time in 24 years, Redlands beats Claremont. And if that's not the D3Football.com play of the week, then you got to have an investigation. And if you just heard that, okay, if you're at your computer listening to this, 
go to the website, uh, scroll down on, on Saturday's um, top 25 report and look, watch the video of this final play. Uh, you know, if you happen to download this on your on your iPod, you know, take a look at it when you get to work or when you get home. It's a, one of those crazy plays. You know, we're fortunate to have video of it. And, uh, you know, it, it starts out quarterbacks roll into his right. I believe it's Hurst. And then I have to come back to his left throws. Not not a traditional Hail Mary, but definitely just taking a shot in the end zone at the end of this uh, tie game here. It's tied at 24, so they have nothing to lose. And uh, he ends up throwing a 42-yard touchdown pass. Uh, as time runs out, Redlands uh, wins the game, preserves its top 25 ranking, uh, and certainly sticks a dagger in the hopes of, of Claremont Mudscripts, which, which was in the... Um, the sky race really at that point it had a chance to to uh vault itself into conference championship uh consideration and uh instead redlands hangs on what a wild um you know back and forth type of team redlands has been this season they, <laughs> they had had great stretches and poor stretches in the north central game ended up hanging on to win that game you know started out great against uh Cal Lutheran and, and let Cal Lutheran dominate the second half and win that game. And in this one, you know, they didn't really show up until the the, the second half, losing 21 to 3 at halftime. Um, you know, Claremont Mudscripts, Pat, as you mentioned, just dominating the, the first half of play. And then uh, Redlands gets their act together, helped by uh, an 87 yard touchdown run midway through the third quarter, you know, to, to quickly get that get that game back uh, back together. Um, what a, just what a. Uh, wild team Redlands is I think for for it for them to be a team that um you know where they're in our top 20 I had them you know closer to, to number 10 because of that win over North Central uh they're one of those teams that gives you a little bit of pause as happened you know a few weeks ago when we saw Kane struggle you know they were they were winning still but you, you see a team win a couple times or you play these inconsistent back and forth games and you start to worry about how high you're ranking them in the poll because one of those weeks it's going to bite and not just, of course, Redlands fighting to preserve its ranking, but having a shot at an at-large bid, uh, probably the best uh, candidate for an at-large bid out of the Skyx since they got the automatic qualifier uh, back in the uh, early to mid part of the uh, last decade. Um, you remember, of course, they, they have the win over North Central. That is huge. Uh, their strength of schedule is right now is 548. Uh, that number will change as, as things go on, but you know they've got a win against a regionally ranked team, a win against a team that's going to be, I think, probably in the, uh, the it, probably in the top half of the uh, of the eight team regional poll. Or is it? Do they even rank ten? I even they rank ten, don't they? Yes. So uh, definitely, I would say they'd be in the top half of the regional poll when it comes out. Um, you know, they are they are in a really good position to get an at large bid, but of course they have to win out. Uh, eight and one, eight and one would do it. Seven and two won't. Yeah, and, and they can't you can't keep doing this, playing half a game, you know, and, and expecting to win. And you know, it, it bit them against Cal Lutheran. Uh, they were able to pull it out here. And again, you know, they threw they ran the last play um, with nothing to lose because it was already a tied game at that point. They take a shot in the end zone if it gets intercepted or whatever. It doesn't doesn't hurt them any. They just go play overtime. And it, it was really a, you know one of those passes that was a tremendous catch, fun to watch, and all that. But but for Redlands for for the conference, that pass being completed, Pat. You mentioned um, could could end up being a big boost for the conference down the line. You know, one thing we should when we when we talk about these uh, strength of schedule numbers too, we should explain that a strength of schedule number tends to trend toward 500. You know, that's that's your normal number, especially if you're in a, the bigger the conference you're in, um, the number you know tends to be closer to the center, right? Because uh, every team you play has a, a win that cancels itself out later in the season. 
Uh, I hope I'm, I'm, I may be confusing the listeners at home a little more, but I think that makes sense. If everyone you play uh, in a conference, you know, there's a win and a loss for, for everyone. And so your strength of schedule tends to trend toward the middle. So 548, although that's not a great winning percentage, it's a pretty good strength of schedule number. Yeah, just to give you a, a sense of where that ranks, for example, it's 65th. That's still pretty good. Um, you know, a lot of teams that have better strength of schedules are not at large contenders. Uh, that's for sure. They'll be in a, a very good position. 548 is a is a healthy number. Uh, what they have left is Occidental, Laverne, Whittier, and Chapman. Chapman is four and one overall. Uh, that may help them. Um, Occidental is three and two. Occidental is this weekend. Uh, Redlands Occidental had uh, at one point was the uh, marquee game in the Skyac uh, for for conference championships, and uh, in this case, Occidental, you know, isn't out of it because the conference season in the Skyac is so young. But they uh, certainly would, I'm sure, enjoy a chance to play spoiler and then maybe uh, put themselves somehow in the uh, in the conference uh, championship picture. Um, Keith, you mentioned Kane, and of course Kane with the uh, the loss to to Brockport State this weekend. Uh, we've been kind of, I don't want to say maybe foreshadowing is too literary a term, um, but you know, we've been talking about the the fact that uh, Kane has really struggled with uh, either poor opponents or you know average opponents or maybe a fairly decent opponent in in in, in TC and J, but that all kind of finished itself off this weekend i guess you know brockport state um it's not a great trip obviously it's from northern new jersey to western new york uh at brockport state had, had played some games well this season but they were winless and that's a very uh that's that's one of the quintessential bad losses right now yeah and, and you don't know how to explain it you know i don't know kane's mentality but you may they may you know had started to, to feel themselves a little bit and uh, you, you go in to play an 0-5 team, and you feel like, okay, we're gonna, you know, we're gonna make this. This is gonna be an easy win for us. And uh, all of a sudden, you, you get into a battle, and and sometimes, like Redlands, you're able to turn it on for half a game and pull it out. And sometimes, uh, you're not able to. And, and for Kane, it's it's okay to be a team that that plays a lot of close games and wins them. You know, in some in some years, that's kind of endearing, but. For the type of team, the type of ranking they were getting, they were they were you know right around number ten in the rankings. That win over Wesley, and then to turn around the next week and win at Cortland State, I think really boosted their their ranking. So their first two wins of the season, uh, really nice wins, and then they played three games where they won all the games, but they were sort of lackluster. They had to come back and beat Buffalo State, you know, from way down. Um, it, it just started to, to worry you. You know, that's not a team that you feel top ten teams don't do that. Team, good teams do it. You know, sometimes they, they, you know, have to win close games. They have to pull it out in the end. But uh, for us, for Kane, we kind of saw this one coming. And uh, it's a little bit of a shame. You know, they're, they're still in the race here because they, they finished the season at Montclair State. So they're, they're, uh, they're conference championship hopes. That's the uh, conference leader right now. They still have a chance um, to, to rectify all this. But they have to really be kicking themselves to, to go and lose to a, to a winless team. Yeah. And uh, for Kane, you know, I... Kane, I think, needs to get into a position. Yeah, they need to win the conference title, I think, or be in a position where they're uh, win it outright, or be in a two-way tie position uh, with Montclair State. Uh, their strength of schedule right now, Kane's, is actually below 500, which is kind of surprising because um, you know because they played Wesley earlier on in the season, uh, but you know the the all of the other games as well. Uh, Western Connecticut State is uh, you know winless for the decade. Um, you know, Cortland State's numbers should be pretty good. Uh, College of New Jersey's numbers should be pretty good. 
but uh, you know they they played uh, Brockport State, of course, one and five. Western Connecticut, zero and six. They still have Morrisville State yet to come, and Morrisville's only won one game all season. And William Patterson's still to come, and they're two and four. They're going to be hurting when it comes to uh, when it comes to strength of schedule. The good news is that they can uh, knock Rowan out of the three-way tie because they play them coming up in a couple weeks. Yeah, and and for Kane, you know, to have have struggled this much, and struggle is not the right word, but to have played as many close games as they have had, they'd been a five and zero team, uh, but uh, four of their victories were a touchdown or or, or less. Um, you know, to to have had all these these real exciting big games already six games into the season, they still have two huge ones coming up because they they host Rowan and they go to Montclair State. So. Uh, Kane's uh, you know, future, their destiny is yet to be written. They they play their, you know, the the lead role in it. So um, they'll they'll have a chance, you know, to 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 get over this Brockport State loss. It's not a season killing loss, but it's certainly one where you looked at the schedule and all these great teams on the schedule: Wesley, Cortland, Rowan, Montclair State. Brockport State was not the one that that we worried about. Yeah, talking about strength of schedule, um, and again, we focus on it. It's not the only criteria, but it's a huge one. Um, there are in football. There are so few games being played. There's only ten, uh, sometimes nine, sometimes eight, over the course of a regular season. That there aren't a whole lot of data points to consider. There's not a lot of head-to-head. There's not a lot of common opponents when you're talking about 239 teams scattered across the country. So strength of schedule is one of the the big numbers that gets focused on. Um, so you mentioned Kane might be in trouble. I, I wanted to spotlight a couple of teams that are that are currently unbeaten, um, but. If they lose one of their games uh, between now and the end of the season and they don't win their conference championship, they will be in trouble. I think the big one to circle is Wabash. Um, Wabash right now is really far down the list. They are 181st in strength of schedule um, with a 446 number. Oddly enough, they're right next to Johns Hopkins, which is uh, in a similar situation but not on this list. I think we'll talk about that a little bit later. But um, you know, Wabash especially... Over the course of the last couple of seasons, could uh, could um, really point to how backloaded their schedule is. Uh, you know, they um, this year they're playing Allegheny, Wittenberg, and DePaul to end the season, and and usually that would get you a pretty big boost in the strength of schedule numbers. But they're not going to get it from DePaul this year, clearly. Um, and uh, Wittenberg is going to become basically a uh, a winner take all game. I don't think the uh, I mean, certainly Wittenberg doesn't get in if they lose that game, and I don't think Wabash gets in if they lose it either. Yeah, and, and it always depends on on the size of the the national picture. You know how how many other teams with great at large cases are up for those bids. But uh, all things considered, you're, the the thing you pointed out is is really the major uh, big deal for Wabash that they don't have that um that get out of jail card by playing uh, DePaul that they have every year. That that's something that gives them you know some, a lot of years would give them a win over a regionally ranked opponent and a strength of schedule boost. If they win their rivalry game this year, you know they're just going to be playing that rivalry game just for pride because DePaul at uh, at one and four have only scored sixty four points in five games, having the, the the roughest season in in recent memory for them. You know they're going to be basically playing the game just to to try to beat Wabash. Uh, you know Bash really is in a situation where they have to beat Wittenberg if they want to get in the playoffs. They need that automatic qualifier. The other team is in a kind of a different situation. They have a similarly bad strength of schedule number, uh, and that's Linfield. Uh, you know, Linfield at least has been blitzing teams. Uh, you know, running them out the door. Four fifty-seven is Linfield's strength of schedule. If they were to somehow not win the Northwest Conference, and this is less likely, obviously, than Wabash not winning the North Coast. Um, 
but Linfield, I think, would be in trouble as well. It, it, the the odds that they would lose to uh, one of these teams remaining on their schedule is admittedly kind of a long shot, um, and they would have a regionally ranked uh, opponent with a, a victory over a regionally ranked opponent because uh, we presume that Cal Lutheran will uh, continue to win and, and be in the regional rankings. But yeah, that number's really low, um, and you know we don't talk about Lewis and Clark because their strength of schedule is even worse, but they are un unbeaten at the moment. I obviously I think Pacific Lutheran is a far bigger threat than Lewis and Clark is, but if either one of those teams takes Linfield down and Linfield finishes eight and one, seven and one in region, I think they'd be in trouble as well. Yeah, I, I tend to think that that um the regionally ranked opponent, you know, assuming Cal Lutheran remains ranked, wins the Skyac would would be a pretty um big help to their their case. But again, it's it's a little early for us here in the middle of October to try to figure out exactly what the size of the of the uh bubble group yeah the the group going for at-large bids will be you know we know there's six bids um but we don't know if there's going to be nine teams with the with a great case or or four teams with a great case and and some years you know when there's you know your four no-brainer they all get right in and then all you know team it could be a two-loss team or a team that that doesn't seem to have a strong case end up taking the last uh, couple bids so uh it, it can happen but uh, Linfield, best interest, of course, would be just to, to win the next four games. We're talking about uh, teams that are uh, you know in playoff contention. You don't often talk about uh, Saint Scholastica or Eureka or uh, you know some of the other teams that that had been or were in the contention in the Upper Midwest Athletic Conference. That team, uh, that conference, gets an automatic bid in football for the first time this year. Uh, we mentioned the ECFC gets an automatic bid. Uh, going its way this year for the first time as well. Um, I went up to kind of put eyes on St. Scholastica this past weekend. Um, St. Scholastica is uh, now 6-0. and They are uh, a, a fourth-year football program in Duluth, Minnesota. Um, they don't have an on-campus stadium, so they split their games between a, uh, a local city stadium in Duluth and uh, the uh, Minnesota Duluth Stadium, which is, um, you know, fairly adjacent to campus the two campuses are really close together up on the hill in Duluth um, and you know, St. Scholastica they uh, they beat Westminster Missouri 29 to 12 to really kind of take control they're in the driver's seat in the race anyway uh, especially uh, because one of their other main competition uh, for the bid Eureka lost uh, big to Minnesota Morris on Saturday but what I saw in Scholastica I just wanted to go and see what the feel was and I because I'm able to get to the uh, UMAX Dome Day on a fairly regular basis. I have seen Scholastica kind of progress over the course of their four seasons. It, it happens to be uh, the the same amount of time that I've been here uh, living back here in Minnesota. Um, I don't think that uh, St. Scholastica is quite ready for, for prime time yet. Uh, it, was a, it was a struggle on Saturday. I mean, they won, and they were dominant in facets of the game. Um, Westminster helped them out. Uh, they threw five interceptions. Um, they were, they lost two fumbles, so you know Westminster uh, is turns the ball over seven times. Um, Saint Scholastica kind of struggles sometimes to put drives together. Uh, quarterback Alex Theory was uh, was missing open receivers, uh, and not just um, not just with the wind at his back. There was a pretty fierce wind on Saturday. He was overthrowing guys into the wind. Um, so you know they've they've got uh, they've they've. They're in control of their race anyway. Uh, if they win out is the question. Do they face Wisconsin-Whitewater? Do they face St. Thomas? Do they luck out uh, 
do those two teams get into separate brackets and somehow Scholastica gets a seven seed, I think is the uh, the best case scenario for them because uh, they're um, they're a program that's that's you know that's being built. I'm not going to say they're a program on the rise yet because there's a long way to go from the UMAC to be uh, to being a, a playoff a team that can win a playoff game or be in the top 25. Um, but I, I just want to go take a look at Scholastica and they're certainly better, but um, you know they're not in position to uh, to win a playoff game right now. Pat, it, it, their story reminds me of of a couple things. It's sort of uh, a mix of of two. One is Christopher Newport, which. Uh, when it started its program in 2000, I believe, uh, they were in what was then the Dixie Conference, what is now called the USA South. Uh, and, and it just happened to be kind of a, a, a conference full of middling programs where Christopher Newport was able to start its program right away and get that playoff success. You know, there's there's schools that have been playing football for you know 100 years or 80 years. They have these long for football traditions playing in great conferences and, and, and never get in the playoffs. And here are these brand new teams you know, getting get get access to the automatic bid and are able to get in. So if, if Saint Scholastica is able to do that this season, that'd be very fortunate. the The other thing it reminds me of, though, unfortunately for them, I think is uh, is SUNY Maritime last season, which ha- had this remarkable run in uh, in in the the ECFC. They didn't, they didn't get an automatic bid, but they were um, they were ten and zero last season, and then they get in. Uh, and play a playoff game at Alfred and and lose that game sixty to nothing. I think that just because of the quality of of teams you you may get matched up with uh, in that part of the country, you know, around Minnesota and Wisconsin, their first round opponent is going to be really really tough. You know, they're they're Saint Scholastica and, the, and their fans. You know, obviously you, you want first first order of business is root for the team to go ten and zero. The other order of business is keep an eye on the uh, the Midwest Conference. Uh, which right now is is a uh, sort of a crazy race. Keep an eye on the the NASCON, um, which already has you know teams out in the lead already have a couple overall losses. Hopefully, you get a couple of them in the playoffs with multiple losses. Where yeah, you may get a seven seed, or uh, you know by some stretch of the imagination, you get a six seed, uh, and you may draw an easier first round matchup. Or because of the way things get bracketed sometimes in the West, you may uh, Scholastica may benefit from that as well. Yeah, because you know the West covers so much ground uh, geographically, but playoff-wise, you know, the geographics are a factor, and so the the, the West bracket is going to go all the way out to California and Oregon, but it may or may may not um, include Minnesota, Wisconsin, uh, Illinois. Those type of teams could go either way, North or uh, or West. If you want to know a little bit more about that game, uh, scroll down to the bottom of this page. If you're on the blog, uh, take a look at my D3 report. I also interviewed uh, Greg Carlson, who's the head coach there, former head coach at Wabash and at Whittier, uh, who has uh, you know, certainly built this program from the ground up. Um, and I'm not, I'm, I'm not trying to down the program. I just know that uh, you know people are asking about six and zero, and you know what would it take for them to get in the top twenty five or to get votes, um, and uh, I'm just I'm I'm being frank because um you know the the uh the, the UMAX at the pretty much uh, did we have them at the bottom if we didn't we had them at second to the bottom in the uh the conference rankings the last time we did them and, and so it just takes a while to to build up from that but it's certainly not impossible that's a that's a part of the country where uh you could draw some kids and uh and and build that into something so uh, and, and also so I mentioned uh, the Greg Carlson interview. You can find that on our Facebook page or on the St. Scholastica game story, and I think I'll even throw it into the at the end of the D3 reports and highlights. 
I think it's time to move on to the lightning round. What do you think? Um, I think it is. Uh, talking about lightning, we talked about West Texas and lightning last weekend. This is uh, more the uh, the figurative lightning than the literal lightning. McMurray was just uh, crazy on offense on Saturday, rolling up a, uh, a, a record 848 yards of total offense. Jake Mullen threw for over 600 yards for the Warhawks, and they uh, they blew the doors off Texas Lutheran. Um, you know, throwing uh, all the way to the end, Mullen didn't come out of the game until um, until four minutes left in the ball game, and and the the backup threw some passes as well. Yeah, you know, may not have been lightning in that game, but certainly were a lot of strikes. Um, the, you don't need to see a sixty to sixteen win necessarily um, for McMurray to gain attention, but but that, that does eight hundred forty eight yards does does catch your eye a little bit. I think what what gains my attention is when you put all the one loss teams in a group, and I'm going to count McMurray as a one loss team uh, against Division three opposition because they played. Uh, Stephen F. Austin and Texas San Antonio, their first two games, those were uh, Division One FCS teams. So they're not going to factor into the playoff picture. You look at all the teams who've played, um, you know, have one loss against D3 competition and their losses to a ranked team. McMurray, their, their losses to Mary Harden Baylor by one point. And remember, that was a game that was uh, interrupted by Lightning. Um, and, and sort of Mary Harden Baylor had a big lead. Uh, before the break and then and almost gave it all back after the break. McMurray lost that game uh, 28-27. But then since then, they've, they've played really well. And uh, they're, they're playing their way onto the top 25 radar now. You start to, we have to start to think about them. And this is almost preposterous. It's a team that lost its first game 82-6 is now uh, playing so well you know that, that we have to start talking about them as a potential top 25 team, potentially maybe an at-large uh, bid playoff team. The question, Pat, becomes if they go 7-1 and one against D3 competition uh, with a one-point loss to Mary Harden-Baylor, will that be enough to get them in? Yeah, and I and I don't, again, you know, go back to what you said earlier. We don't know how big the bubble is going to be. Um, it, it seems in the past that almost always teams with one loss overall will get uh, uh, consideration over to any team with two losses, no matter how good the strength of schedule is for that two-loss team. Um, you know, McMurray, as we mentioned, does have two losses overall, but uh, losing losing to an NAIA team is one thing. You know, a team with 24 scholarships, losing to a team with 60 scholarships, even if you get the doors blown off you by 76 points, and even if that team hasn't won another game all season, which, by the way, it hasn't, um, the uh, that that still I think has to be thrown out. Um, I think you know we got to remember um, the potential of Wisconsin Oshkosh to be uh, a two-loss team with one loss in region and both of the losses being to the teams that have played in the last six Stag Bowls. Um, you know, McMurray's got uh, Louisiana College on November 5th. That's going to be a pretty interesting weekend of football, the, the week 10, November 5th. Um, you know, the winner of that game is going to be uh, is, is going to be pretty strong in the regional rankings, I would think. We'll get the first look at regional rankings from the NCAA a few days before that game, so we'll know where teams stand going in, but um, yeah, I we certainly can't rule that out. You, uh, the other thing you mentioned earlier too about um, how strength of schedule kind of gravitates towards 500. The larger the conference gets, remember now that McMurray hasn't played uh, a single Division three opponent, or uh, certainly, of course, not a regional opponent outside of its conference. So they are going to be uh, much uh, closer to 500. Even they basically gave themselves no opportunities to uh, to improve their playoff uh, selection resume outside of the uh, out of the eight conference games that they're playing um, 
at the very least, uh, McMurray's making a uh, interesting farewell to Division Three. Remember, this uh, athletic department starts its transition to Division Two next year. Um, but if not, I I even if they uh, if if they end up either way, if they end up on the bubble and their bubble pops, or if they end up getting into the playoffs and having a chance to uh, make some noise and, and probably play Mary Hart and Baylor again there, uh, unless uh, another team comes in from Texas, then. Uh, you know, it'll at least it'll be an interesting way for the Warhawks to go out. Well, they're, they're going out with a bang, too, because uh, last four weeks, their point totals are 63, 50, 41, and 60. So they're averaging, you know, somewhere in the, in the 50s points-wise. But as we talked about at the beginning of the podcast, you know, some of these teams putting up big offensive numbers uh, overshadows their defense. The last three weeks at Howard Payne versus Sol Ross and at Texas Lutheran, they've given up a total of 32 points three games, so averaging about 11 points a game allowed on defense. Once upon a time, this was a way that you could uh, try to get yourself back onto the playoff radar after an early loss by blitzing the doors off of teams. Um, you know, continuing to score into the fourth quarter is not one of the playoff selection criteria. And uh, let's see, that uh, first go round of the lightning round wasn't very quick, uh, but we'll try another one. Olivet gets uh, off of. There's got to be a better word for Schneid when you've lost 32 consecutive games. Yeah, well, it's 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 rough, and you know that can have uh, reverberating effects. I, I think in a program because you go out on that on that recruiting trail and you're selling hope to these kids, and and, and kids are seeing, eh, yeah, one in two three seasons. I don't I don't know how much hope I see there. And, and the, the thing that really stood out to me about the, this Olivet, um, the this losing streak that they were on was uh, that they were a playoff team you know, in the middle of the, the decade, you know, I know it was a six and four season and they just happened to, to win the MIAA that season, but thought that was going to be a program that it was at least going to be a middling program for a lot of years. And then uh, went on that, that 32 game losing streak. So uh, good news for them to, uh, to finally get a W. Uh, on the opposite side, basically a presentation, a first year program is on a three game winning streak. Uh, they won at McMurray. This is the Illinois McMurray uh, 27 to 26 on Saturday. Uh, you know, Keith, I, I think we pegged a uh, presentation for two wins in the uh, in the kickoff uh, predictions. One of them we figured was going to be against Trinity Bible. They didn't win that game, but they've won three in a row uh, against conference competition, and uh, so they're three and three overall, three and two in the league. And and that goes back to what we mentioned about um, Saint Scholastica. Is that sometimes these new programs you're you're in a uh, young conference, you know, you can build that success really early because. They are. They are going out. They they're recruiting. Um, lots of hope. You know, uh, presentation. A presentation is the only D three in, in South Dakota. You know, there's a lot of small small college football in South, in Dakotas, but um, but this is the only D three. And so that they, you know, probably a lot of excitement around that program. And as they go out, uh, you know, next season they'll be able to take at least three wins out on the on the trail with them and say, hey, look what we're building here. Old Dominion Athletic Conference uh, again this weekend, Keith. Um... You know, I, I guess we saw you know a little bit where the uh, the conference picture is clearing up somewhat uh, with uh, with Washington and Lee beating Randolph Macon, especially that uh, that helps figure things out. Um, and uh, Hampton Sydney beating Emory and Henry on the road after a, a late two point conversion for the Wasps fails. Yeah, and and you know the the sort of storyline for the ODAC the last couple seasons has been you know it just beats up on itself. All these teams are so evenly matched, and a lot of uh, good good young coaches and and a couple good old coaches uh, in the conference. Where, um, you know, you look down that the 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 standings, 
six of the teams in the conference have four wins overall. And, you know, so it's always pretty competitive. But the the good thing is you got a couple of close wins on Saturday. Hampton City beating Emory and Henry, uh, WNL uh, coming back and beating Randolph Macon, and now that sets up. Uh, Another game on that that November fifth. That's looking like it's going to be just a, a whopper of a Saturday for us in D three here. Uh, Washington Lee will go to Hampton Sydney uh, for that one potentially. Uh, if the ODAC doesn't beat itself up too bad before November fifth, uh, potentially for a uh, de facto title game. Uh, and and maybe last in the lightning round, but the Purple Powers continue to roll. Yeah, those, those you know two teams don't get too many challenges over the course of a season. And occasionally you get a team that's kind of hot. Um, you know, Heidelberg has, has been building, uh, going in the right direction. And yeah, we, I guess nationally, you know, we start to feel good about Heidelberg and then Mountain Union happens and they just, they do it to teams over and over again. A lot of people use that as sort of a way to knock the overall strength of the OAC, but it's just Mountain Union is that good. Uh, Jasper Collins had a big four touchdown day and, uh, their offense is, is on track. You know, they got a nice running game with Jeremy Murray. Uh, I'm sure they're, they're you know, their quarterback situation is a little odd, but I'm sure they're blocking really well. You know, I haven't seen Mount Union play yet this year, but the number that jumps uh, off the page um, to me is uh, 44 points allowed in six games, and uh, nobody has scored in the double digits against them since week one. That's Oshkosh. We thought 41-17. You know, 17 didn't look too impressive, but when you when you consider that John Carroll, Wilmington, uh, Ohio Northern, and Heidelberg now have combined for 27 points total, five teams, uh, maybe that 17 was kind of impressive. Talk about Heidelberg. Uh, you know, that that is the ultimate uh, program in terms of selling hope. They came in uh, the 2007 season on a 36-game losing streak. Uh, you're in a conference with uh, at that point, uh, you know, obviously one national power and, uh, you know, another program that uh, whether it's capital or, or somebody else over the course of a, a season is going to go to the playoffs. It's very difficult to uh, to to make a, a, a big move in that conference, but they've done it. Uh, this will be the fifth year in a row. They've won at least four games. And if they win one more, they'll have a, a 500 record or better for the second year in a row. Yeah, and their next two games bouncing back from Mount Union are at Marietta and against Wilmington um, before they finish up with John Carroll and Ohio Northern. So I think they, they can uh, get to that winning season. Marietta's 2-4, and four, Wilmington's 0-6. I mean, those are teams that the, the new Heidelberg uh, should beat, you know, Heidelberg 2011 rather than Heidelberg circa 2006. Um, th those are games that, that they should win. And uh, you, you play Mount Union in that conference. They I think teams have to have – short memory you, you play Mount Union you get crushed um, and then you got to turn around and, and you have a team that you can match up with the next week coming up this upcoming week we got a top 10 battle as uh, St. Thomas travels to Bethel that'll be uh, number three team in the country at number 10 uh, one of St. Thomas's few games on grass this season uh, Wisconsin Whitewaters at Wisconsin Oshkosh North Central at Illinois Wesley and those are the three games between top 25 teams Keith yeah, I'm really excited for the for the Whitewater Oshkosh game again. You know, same thing we, we said about Mount Union. You don't you don't get too many. Uh, you get so good, so dominant. You don't get too many teams to test you every season. And and we haven't seen anybody uh, really test Whitewater this season. You know, teams have played a good quarter against them. Uh, teams have slowed them down for a little bit, but but nobody's uh, done any damage to Whitewater this season. They they beat Stout. Um, 42-21 last Saturday, and they're going to go. Oh, last Friday, I'm sorry, and then they're going to go to Oshkosh um, uh, 
this game's at Oshkosh, and the, and the big deal, I guess, is if uh, if Nate Wara is able to play, um, that, that certainly gives Oshkosh uh, its you know biggest offensive threat, and and this could be the biggest opportunity for a WIAC team to beat the Warhawks since oh nine oh eight when oh uh, eight was it when when Stevens Point won seventeen sixteen. Oh yeah, it's been so long, right? Uh, you know, and of course, Whitewater has won. 35 consecutive games overall, let alone uh, how many games they've won in the conference. Remember, they've lost just one conference game during the course of this uh, six-stag bowl run, and that was to Wisconsin-Stevens Point in 2008. Uh, yeah, Nate Wera uh, left the game against Platteville on Saturday. Status unknown at this time. Uh, you know, if we find out something, we'll at the very least follow us on Twitter. We'll get it out to you uh, if, if there. If nothing else, maybe you'll read about it in Triple Take on Friday. Some of the other games coming up this weekend, and we did not make our one-hour target. We're going to be a little bit over. This is what playoff time feels like, folks. Montclair State at uh, College of New Jersey. Uh, I mentioned earlier Pacific Lutheran is at Linfield. North Carolina Wesleyan at Christopher Newport. Uh, Carleton at McAllister, uh, which is an interesting game to see if McAllister can win another game against the MIAC foe for the first time in a while. And uh, one more I wanted to just briefly highlight. Um, you know, Division three is two and zero against FCF scholarship schools this season. I don't think it's going to go to three, but uh, Willamette is playing at Portland State on Saturday for a, at least to give Division three a shot at that. And that, that's just you know Oregon. There, there aren't a whole lot of schools out there, so when, when two teams can get together, uh, Willamette brave for scheduling that game. Uh, we'll see if uh, if the fly offense can uh, can pull off an upset. If not, at least they should get a nice paycheck out of it. Uh, he's Keith McMillan. I'm Pat Coleman. That's the Around the Nation podcast. Scroll down. You can get a first look at the D3 reports of this week. Um, and you'll see those on the front page on Monday afternoon. Tuesday morning, play of the week. Um, I only have two nominations in so far. Um, granted, it's only Sunday and the deadline. People keep asking about the deadline. Uh, it is 5 p.m. Eastern time on Monday after that. I send the plays out to our uh, voting panel, and you may or may not get full consideration. And then we have Around the Region columns on Tuesday uh, and Wednesday, and Keith's Around the Nation column on Thursday, and then we'll get you ready for week eight next week. That's the Around the Nation podcast.